Welcome to Torah Studies, a brand new season of Torah Studies. And um, like I've said, this is an incredible night to be alive, incredible night to be here together in person <coughs> as we explore the weekly Torah portion. I want to begin by letting you know that I've muted everybody, but at any point you can jump right in, unmute yourself to ask a question, share a comment, etc. So we're going to take a look at the ecstasy and agony of the main biblical, of one of the major biblical stories of this week's Torah portion, as well as an overarching theme, which I actually want to start with. I want to start with a larger theme. Usually we go particular with the Torah portion, which is Shemini, and then we go back kind of to a, you know, we start off with a specific topic or a specific area from the parsha from the Torah portion, and then we go and apply it to a major topic. I want to go kind of the opposite, which is topic, Torah, and then topic again. And the topic I want to talk about is the things that we love doing and the things that we don't love doing. You see, in life, there are things that we love doing and things that we don't at all love doing, but we do them anyway. Well, maybe we do them anyway. Okay, so this actually gets into an interesting conversation. So when it comes to the things that we do, let's say on a regular basis, so we can put them into different categories. As I, as I just mentioned a moment ago, there are things that we love doing and we do them because we love doing them. So maybe we have to do them, but either way, we like doing them and so we do them. And then there are things that we kind of have to do, but we don't like doing, but we do them anyway. But when we do them, we do them in a, well, let's say sluggish manner. Sluggish is probably not the best word, not the most accurate. Maybe it's more of um, things that we don't want to do reluctant manner. We do it reluctantly, sluggishly. We do it begrudgingly. Um, all the, the, and, 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 and other types of adjectives that would work for this type of example. So it's not that we're not doing it, but we're not doing it in a way half-heartedly good, Ariella. Yes, yes, yes. We're not doing it with the full, the full presence of being. So it's not that we're not doing it. We are doing it, but we're not that excited about doing it. And therefore that affects our performance. Then it, it's also possible, by the way, that because we don't want to do it, we actually look for opportunities to skip doing it. So, you know, you might think, uh, okay, once in a while I have to, have to do it. I like really have to do it, so I'll do it. But whenever I can get away with not doing it, I'm not gonna do it because I really don't wanna do it. And I'm intentionally being vague here. If you're hearing me use a lot of vague terminology, wanting to do it, doing it, begrudgingly not doing it. Well, what, what it's, what's it? What are we talking about? I'm intentionally keeping it vague because you can apply this to so many things. You can apply it to housework, right? I don't want to do it. Got to do it. Don't want to do it. All right. Right. So you can apply it to housework. You could apply it to maybe your job or, or, or person's job, person's vocation, right? They get up in the morning, go to work. Maybe they don't want to do it but they have to do it, but they don't want to do it. So, or Lahavdil, and this is more along the lines of our conversation tonight, we can apply it to Torah and mitzvot. Because when it comes to mitzvot, I venture a wager. 
I bet that there are mitzvot that you like doing and there are mitzvot that you uh, don't like as much, right? There's the, there's the mitzvot that really get you excited and then there are mitzvot that maybe not so much, maybe not so much. And, and I would also say that when it comes to the mitzvot that we're not so excited about doing, it is very possible and maybe even probable that the way we do those mitzvot that we're not excited about is very different from the way that we do the mitzvot that we are excited about. The ones that we're excited about doing, oh, we jump in, we're doing it, there's a smile, it's with zrizos, zrizos means alacrity, it's done with, with enthusiasm, it's done with alacrity, it's done with a verve. I don't know what verve is, but it seemed like the right word to throw in, right? We do it with excitement and enjoyment because we enjoy it. And the ones that we don't enjoy, well, two options. <laughs> Either we do them a little bit half-heartedly or present company obviously excluded, a person might not do it, right? Because we're not into that mitzvah, well, we'll get back to that one, right? Well, one day we'll, we'll figure out that one. And, and that's the way it is for most people. There are things that we like doing, things that we don't like doing. And by the way, people could be all over the place on this. <coughs> Again, I'll, I'll be okay. People could be all over the, but thank you for your concern. But people could be all over the board on this. Right. Some people might love Yom Kippur. Like, oh, my God, 26 hours of fasting and meditation and prayer and standing on my feet and wearing white. Oh, my, I can't get enough of that. If you find that person, let me know. No, but, I'm, but seriously, some people might actually like that because they like the discipline. They like the rules. Maybe they do fast anyway. You know, intermittent fasting is a thing. People do this. All right. When I, when I hear about that, I say, hey, buddy, not so fast. But I'm, I'll be here not so fast. All right. I'm just, it's hard. It's hard on Zoom to make sure that everybody is as pained as I think you should be from that. So, so getting back to my point. Some people might like Yom Kippur. Some people like regimented ritual. They like the rules. A lot of people like rules. They like the rules. They like, you know, some people love something like burning the chametz, calling all my pyromaniacs. They love the burning the chametz. It's we get to make a fire that's religiously mandated. Sign me up, right? Some people are like, that's fantastic. By the way, if, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, the eve of Passover, whatever chametz that we haven't consumed, right? Whatever chametz we have not consumed, we put into a, a safe container and... Right, we this is different than selling the chametz closet. Do not mix up the two because you cannot safely burn your chametz closet in your home. Do not try that. You heard it here first. But you can burn a safe receptacle in some sort of metal container outside in a burn box, exactly. And otherwise, you can you can take care of that outside. So you like fire, boom, you have an outlet in Judaism. Somebody likes fasting, boom, you got Yom Kippur. You like burning things, Erev, Pesach, that's your day. Everyone's got a mitzvah they love. 
Some people love wearing tzitzis. They love wearing the strings. They love asking people, hey, you want me to pull some strings? I do that, right? Some people love, all right. Some people love um, building a sukkah, right? People love building things and, you know, being a handy person and nails and hammers and whatever. I best, the best um, sukkah I ever had was one that I literally put up with zip ties. It was made out of like lattice work frame. And I'm like, I'm not actually drilling in or knocking in nails. It ain't happening. I'm going to get myself a pack of zip ties. Boom, boom, boom. And it was incredible. Now we outgrew that one. But nonetheless, the concept is brilliant. But some people love like nailing and things and drawing up plans and buying the wood and cutting it and whatever. I actually did that. I didn't necessarily like it, but I guess that gets back to our conversation. There's a mitzvah for everybody. But the question is, what do we do about the ones that are not our cup of tea, or in this case, cup of seltzer. What do we do about the mitzvah? That was not a dramatic pause. I just literally wanted to drink something. What do we do about the mitzvot that are that are not so exciting to us? Maybe someone else loves them, but for us, uh, can we get more excited about it? How do we, tonight's class, how to love, how to appreciate the things you don't love doing how to learn to love the things you don't like i don't know we could play around with the wording but bottom line is how to get more on board with the things that you're not so on board with yet that is tonight's conversation and to get into this of course we're going to look at our torah portion torah portion again is shmini this is what the new book looks like torah studies it's got a yellow yellow, gold, mustard, I'll let you decide, um, theme to it. By the way, if you want a book so that you can have your own copy of the textbook and uh, read up on it before, after, and during, you can get it on Amazon. Maybe I will try to link it in the comment, uh, the chat box. I don't know if I'll be able to find it though. Um, Okay, I'm not going to look for it right now, but if somebody reminds me by the end of the class, I don't want to distract myself in the middle of the class. Somebody reminds me at the end of the class, I will pull up the link and share it with you if you <coughs> if you want to pick up the the current tech, the student textbook. But don't worry, I'll put it up on on the uh, uh, I'll put up the text as we go along. So we're going to look at Shmini, which is the name of this week's Torah portion. It's also the number eight because this week's Torah portion takes place on day number eight from when they started the inauguration of the Mishkan. So here's a quick review of Jewish history. Ready? Slavery in Egypt, Exodus, splitting of the sea, revelation at Sinai, golden calf, ah, horror, building the Mishkan, and now they're putting it up. So after the sin of the golden calf, the call came out. We're building a home for God, building a temporary portable sanctuary for God. Donate. Everyone donated. They brought it to Moses. Moses appointed the chief builders. They built it. And they came in um, early. It, 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 this stuff came in. Really, it was made really quickly. Most incredibly efficient building campaign and building project ever. So they built this incredible, incredibly beautiful edifice. That was completely portable. You could take it apart, put it on a wagon, and literally move it and set it up wherever 
you wanted to go. This was like before pop-up tents, right? Before Coleman got its groove on, this was what was going on in the Midbar in the desert. So they had this Mishkan. Um, and now it was time to open to the public. You know, we're open, grand opening, uh, you know, barbecue, uh, grand opening um, situation. So, so they had seven days of inauguration where Moses, who was getting all these messages from God, trained his brother, Aaron, the high priest, and Aaron's four sons, who would be priests, how to run the services, not prayer services, but how to run the sacrificial service in this tabernacle. And so for seven days, he trained them, and day number eight was opening day. Then that was, I'm going to give you a calendar date in case it's helpful. That was the first day of Nisan in the year 2449 of the years of the Jewish calendar. So again, the Exodus happens the 15th of Nisan, 2448. So just under one year later, again, the Exodus is the 15th day of Nisan, 2448. One year later, minus 15 days, the first day of Nisan, 2449, temple is open. Opening day, grand opening, they cut the ribbon, they do the whole photo op thing, whatever, they have their champagne and whatever. Everyone comes and it's open for business. I embellished there a little bit, um, forgive me. So it's open for business. It's the eighth day. Of course, eight is special. It's a special number. Seven is nature. Eight is supernatural. Eight is normal. Eight is transcendent and infinite. Okay, so it's this day of, of, of infinite energy and power. And indeed, something magical happens on that day. And that is, for the first time in a very long time, God's Shechina, Shechina means divine presence, comes down to earth. <coughs> and when God's presence comes down to earth, it's a really special thing. Because originally in creation, originally, God's presence was on earth. Remember the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve? They were living the life for like three hours until they sinned. Whoops. Right. So, but in the beginning, God's presence was manifest here on earth. And then, as the measure says, there were sins, indiscretions, missteps uh, from human beings that served to kind of push away God, not literally, but figuratively push God's at least the revealed aspect of God away from this world. So it's not that God, a human being can't make God disappear. That doesn't work. But when we cover our eyes, that serves at least for, from our perspective to create some sort of disconnect. It wasn't until the building of the Mishkan, the building of the tabernacle, that God's presence came back down to earth. This was a very special moment and to, to kind of capture and convey just how special this moment is or was, I'm going to pull up the text that speaks the one verse that kind of declares what happened at that time. So let me share my screen with you. Um, and we are going to read this inside. Okay, text number three from Leviticus. Um, Steve Horowitz, will you please get us rocking and rolling? Um, don't forget to unmute and please read text number three, which is going to be from Leviticus. The truth is that the mitzvah of remembrance is. 
One second, one second. Use the one that oh. I have on the You can see the one okay. on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Mo and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. Then they came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Awesome. Thank you. So what ha what's happening here is that Moses and Aaron, this is they put up the Mishka and the tabernacle. They brought the offerings. And then they went into the tent of meeting. That was like the inner sanctum, the inner building. And then they came out and they gave a bracha. They blessed the people. And the blessing was, may God's presence fill the work of your hands. In other words, this building. And boom, like on cue, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Look at that line. The glory, I hope you can see it highlighted. I just had the glory of the Lord. Kavod Hashem appeared to all the people. This we call loosely the note. Hey, Ali, Solish, how's it going? We call this Shechina, the divine presence. Presence as in P-R-E, presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. -E. Not presence, although who doesn't like presence? So getting back to our story, this is the ultimate kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, tikkun. Kind of fixing up that original breach in creation, right? So God's God is here in a revealed way. Adam and Eve do their thing. Boom. God says, <clears throat> all right, we got a disconnection. At this point in history, two, two and a half thousand years later, we have a Mishkan and God's presence comes back down to earth. This is a very big deal. This is a very big deal. Take a look at text number four. Donna, Yogi Donna, Donna, Donna Bogatin, if you will please read text number four from the Talmud. And it came to pass on the eighth day, it is taught in Barita, a tradition in the Jewish oral law, not incorporated in the Mishnah. On that day, there was joy before the Holy One, blessed be he, similar to the joy that existed on the day on which the heavens and earth were created. It is written here with regard to the dedication of the tabernacle, and it came to pass on the eighth day, and it is written there in the creation story, and it was evening and it was morning one day. Let me explain what the limud, what the type of um, learning mechanism is being applied here. There's a Hebrew word, vayihi which here is translated as, and it came to pass, which is a lot of English words for one Hebrew word. Vayahi means, and it was, and it came to pass. So the, the, the Brisa said, the Brita says, it says the word Vayahi here, regarding the eighth day when God came, right? Regarding the building, the, the opening day of the tabernacle, Vayahi. It says Vayahi regarding creation. It says Vayahi Boker, it was evening, it was morning one day. So just like he used the word vayihi regarding creation, it uses vayihi regarding the eighth day, which tells us that, that, that since it used the same Hebrew word, it, should, it demonstrates that there's a link, conceptual link between the two instances that this word appears. So vayihi, it was, regarding the Mishkan and vayihi, Regarding creation, those two themes are linked. What's the link? Just like in the beginning, when God created heaven and earth, God was fully manifest until we messed it up. 
So to now that we put up the Mishkan, Vayehi, Bayom Hashmini, it was the eighth day, and once again, Vayehi. Once again, God's back home on earth. Does that make sense what I just said? Yes? Well, I mean, it's what the Talmud says, according to, according to the Brayta, but essentially what happened on that day is a big deal. It's no small potatoes. That's in the Chalant. This is a big deal, my friends. This is a big deal. So that's how our Torah portion begins. But if you're familiar with the Torah portion, as I know many of you are, you'll know that very soon the ecstasy turns to agony as a tragedy happens. Amidst this incredible celebration, and there's literally no way that we can describe or even imagine the level of joy and spiritual bliss that existed on that day. There's no way. Imagine a people that were slaves and freed and all of the drama and all of history and human history and Jewish history until that point, then Sinai, but then sin of the golden calf and the building and then the, 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 the watching it be put up for seven days and nothing's happening. And the eighth day, suddenly they can, they can recognize God's presence in the Mishkan was the greatest moment of joy. But almost immediately, it was marred or marked or, I don't know, something by absolute tragedy, unspeakable tragedy. The Torah tells us that the two oldest sons, of Aaron walked into the Holy of Holies and they offered an offering that had not been requested of them to offer and they lost their lives in the process. Now, this story is very, it's not, it's very unclear as to what exactly happened. Well, we know what happened, and that is that they passed away. Nadav and Avihu, these two sons of Aaron. What's unclear is exactly why. The commentaries give literally dozens of perspectives and, and, and um, hypotheses as to what exactly they did or didn't do that ended up causing their death. But that's not what we're focused on here tonight. What we're focused on is the aftermath. But let's just cite the story so that we have a clear picture of a timeline here. I'm going to share my screen once again. By the way, if, if anyone has a question or clarification, please jump in. I'm going to take questions in a moment, but I'm trying to set things up, hopefully in an organized fashion. Okay, but, it, but again, if, if you need a uh, clarification, please jump in. So I'm sharing my screen with you once again. We're going to do this text 5a. This is the passing of the sons. All right. Um, Fred, I see you. Would, are you up to reading? You can un, If you can unmute. Yes. Here you and, go. And Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his pan, put fire in it, and placed incense upon it. And they brought before God foreign fire, which he had not commanded them. And fire went forth from before God and consumed them, and they died before God. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what God spoke when he said, I will be sanctified th through those near to me, 
and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron was silent. Thank you. So this is the story of the passing of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. So the Torah tells us, again, very brief. People say hi. Okay. Very briefly, the Torah says what happens. They took, they took a pan. They put fire in the pan. They placed incense and they brought it before God. And the Torah calls it a foreign fire. What does it mean? Foreign that was not commanded of them. Okay, so it seems like they brought an unwarranted offering and they did it in a holy space where perhaps they should not have gone. Again, I'm not, the focus is not on what they did wrong or whatever it is. The, the focus is on what happens next. So they pass away. They died before God. Moses tries to comfort Aaron saying, you know, essentially God takes the holy ones. You know, God will be sanctified through those near to me. So on some level, you know, God took his, his nearest and dearest on this special day. God took back the most precious souls of your sons. They're even greater than you and I. He didn't take us. He took them. That was Moses' way of kind of comforting Aaron. Aaron is silent. So he's not, uh, you know, he's not necessarily thrilled to hear a justification for the loss of his two sons. Either way, they passed away. And you can imagine just the shock and the pain, and just how drastically shifted the mood suddenly was. What happens next is very important. Almost immediately, actually the very next verses, Moses gives the call to remove the bodies of the deceased sons of Aaron out of the Holy of Holies, out of the sanctuary, and to bury them. Text 5b. Fred, if you don't mind, once again, continuing with text 5b. And Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Draw near, carry a kinsman from within the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they approached and carried them with their uncle, with their tunics to the outside of the camp. And Moses, as Moses had spoken. Thank you. So what happens here is that Moses calls two people. Let's focus on these individuals for a moment. Mishael, this will be important. Mishael and El Safan. Now, who were they? So they were, it says, the sons of Aaron's uncle. So if I'm doing the math correctly, what that means is, again, if Aaron's uncle's sons, so Aaron's father's brother's sons means Aaron's cousins. So Aaron's father was Amram. By the way, he was also Moshe's father, Moses' father as well. They were brothers, right? Moses and Aaron were brothers. Their father's name was Amram. Amram had a brother, Uziel, this guy, Uziel, right? He was their uncle. And Uziel had two sons, Mishael and Al-Safan. They're cousins. So Moses calls his cousin, cousins. And he says to them, listen, I need you now to do something very important. Draw near. Carry your kinsmen from within the sanctuary to the outside of the camp and basically lay them to rest. So 
go in, take out their bodies, and 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 lay them to rest. And they did that. And they did that. Now, I need to note something that perhaps is look, who wants to focus on that part of the story? Eh? We can focus on the celebration of that day, sure. The passing of another than a view, tragic, but maybe that also holds some lessons, you know, about getting too close, whatever it is. But about Mishael Tzafan, the two people that went in to retrieve the bodies, who's going to focus on that? Who's going to have a class dedicated to exploring what happened at that point? Tonight, that's what we're doing. So Mishael and Al-Safan, they go in, they get the call, they go in, take out the bodies, and remove the bodies to the outside of the camp. They were Levites. Let's be very clear here. They were, as the cousin of Moses and Aaron, they were from the tribe of Levi, making them Levites. Now you might ask, well, why weren't they Kohanim? The answer is because the only Kohanim in the world were Aaron and his four sons, two of them who had just passed away. Those were the only Kohanim in the world, right? We have some Kohanim with us here tonight. We also have some Levim here, Levites tonight. My grandfather is a Kohen. I like to call him the Kohen Gadol, but hey, that's just me. So, so, um, so, but, but Mishael and Tzafon, as cousins, they were Levites. They weren't Kohanim because that was only Aaron's immediate family, but they were definitely, definitely, without a doubt, they were Levites. I'm going to ask you a klutz kasha, which is an obvious question that no one asks, but in this case, probably because it's a sensitive topic. Who wants to talk about the people that went in to retrieve the bodies? I mean, you read it and you move on because who wants to focus on that? But I have to ask, why were Levites assigned to this task? Why not give it to... Um, I don't know, somebody else to do. Why, why, why Levites? Why pull them away? Remember, Levites were part of the religious festivities of opening day at the, at, the, at the temple, at the tabernacle, right? I feel like the tabernacle is a music venue in Atlanta, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? Not opening day at that tabernacle, at this tabernacle. So, but why would you pull away a Levite, two Levites from their service in the tabernacle to remove the bodies of the deceased. Okay, it was mishpacha, it was family, but what? it seems like a little bit of an energy shift for them, certainly. And so now we need to get into the big idea. And this is really the big idea. The big idea here is, and, and it's, we have to understand it with sensitivity, with a great deal of sensitivity, because it could very easily sound a little bit callous. So let's understand this with a, with a, with a, with a, a heavy dose of sensitivity. There was an objective, not an objective, there was a need on that day to focus on the spiritual energy at hand the energy that was present with the inauguration of the Mishnah, with the, the first day that God's presence in a long time had come down to earth in a settled fashion, not just in a miracle or a plague or Ten Commandment uh, recital, 
but in a, in a real tangible way in a, in a physical edifice on earth. This was a very big deal. And there was a great need almost to preserve that spirit and the energy of that day and not have it completely, um, completely disrupted by the tragedy that occurred. The reason why I said before that we need to approach this with great sensitivity is because one could misunderstand this and say, ah, so they're trying to, so what they were thinking to do a way to, to like downplay the deaths and get back to the party. It wasn't the party. No parties were happening. I said champagne before, but I was, hopefully that was obviously tongue in cheek. It wasn't a party. It was a day of spiritual connection, a day of spiritual revel divine revelation. It was a very, very holy day. And on that day, and there are many rationales given, some unholy, some, sorry, some less flattering, some very flattering as to why Nadav and Aviyah, the two sons of Aaron, passed away. But again, notwithstanding the rationale for why, there was a great need for the energy of the day to continue. Not that they wouldn't be mourned, but that for right now, the, the, um, the day's um, procedures needed to continue. And thus, the Rebbe says something absolutely incredible. The Rebbe says, that removing, Nadav and Aviv, removing the bodies from the Mishkan was actually a part of the tabernacle, from the tabernacle was actually a part of the service of that day, if that makes sense. Because the Levites' task was to protect and uphold the sanctity of the, Mish of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. And part of that task on that day was to respectfully take out and, and lay to rest this, the two sons of Aaron to preserve the, the sanctity and the energy of the sanctuary on that day. I'm going to share my screen with you, and let's read this inside as the Rebbe explains this. Okay, take a look. Okay, there's a Rashi here that I skipped that maybe it makes sense to go back to. You know, I'm going to read this Rashi. Please understand it with a sensitivity. Rashi says, we're going to get back to the Rebbe's and said in a second, but I realize that we have a Rashi. Carry your kinsman, Moses tells Yishal Al-Safan. Carry your kinsman, carry your, your um, this would be cousins once removed. Carry your kinsman from within the sanctuary, etc. He says, as a person would say to his fellow when someone had died at a wedding feast, remove the deceased from before the bride so as not to disturb the joyous occasion. Here too, Michel and Safan were to remove the dead from inside the sanctuary so as not to disturb the serenity of the investitures of the sanctuary. Again, we need sensitivity to understand it, but on some level, the, 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 the day's energy needed to carry on, so they respectfully laid the bodies of another one of you to rest. They took them out. They laid them to rest. To rest. The Rebbe explains why this was the role of Levites. Why couldn't it have been someone else? Why Levites? He says, because this was also part of the Levite service. He says, bearing the deceased 
was not an act of positive service like singing in the Mishkan in the tabernacle, right? The Levites would sing and they would do other things. So that was not like singing, <coughs> rather it was a negative action. Negative, not bad, not, not bad, but negative means removing items that would disrupt the Mishkan service. So the Levites were entrusted with preserving and supporting the proper energy, if you will, inside the tabernacle. So they would add music to the service. And when it, called, when it was called for, they removed that which would disrupt the Mishkan service. And by the way, this word items, so you, you look at it and you're like, items, Gaval, you're calling Nadav and Aviyu items, removing items that would disrupt the Mishkan service. What are they like, uh, like uh, something that broke and you're cleaning it up so it's not, no one should step on it? Obviously not. Obviously, it's the people, people are not items. These were the sons of Aaron. According to the Rebbe's own explanation, they were the holy. And Moses, Moses, Moses said they were holy. And Chassidus and Kabbalah explained that they were extremely holy. And even their passing was due to their advanced state of spirituality. Nonetheless, without getting you know, thrown off by the, by the translation here, the point is simply that why was this entrusted to Levites? Because just like Levites are meant to support the ambiance and environment in the Mishkan, typically, this was another way that they were going to, that they, that they did that by removing the deceased from the middle of the, from, from the middle of the, of the, the temp, of the tabernacle space. So this was part of this, of their service. This was part of their service. Typically they sing and do other things in support of the tabernacle. Now they did something to remove the, the, the um, disruption to the tabernacle energy. So what this means, and I hope this point is coming out clearly. You know, we asked why Levites, and the answer is because that's exactly their task. Now imagine you would ask for volunteers, all right, a bunch of Levites. And you say, okay, so you could either sing or take out deceased and bury them outside the camp. What would you rather do? Let me, let me sign up for the singing here, right? Everyone's going to wait, raise their hand for the singing. And so you might still say that, you know, how could they have done it with, um, with joy? And if they were called upon to do it, they must have felt on this day, first of all, they felt their own family, familial loss. You know, the two people that passed away, no, the real passed away. But for themselves, themselves they, they, they would be very well justified to say, why do we get the short end of the stick? Why do we get chosen for the task of removing the bodies and burying them when our brothers are busy singing on this opening day at the tabernacle. We'd rather participate in the positive part of the service as opposed to the negative, kind of removing the dead bodies from this place. We'd rather partake in the singing. And you can imagine that they might have done so begrudgingly. Oh, man, why do we get picked to do this? But the Rebbe says that actually this was done by them in a way of simcha, in a way of joy. Obviously not, not joy of like, oh, hey, nothing happened here. Obviously with the understanding of the loss and the pain of the loss, but with a sense of joy, when I say joy, I'm being very specific here, a sense of purpose, which brings out a sense of 
joy in the context of uh, purpose and alacrity and, and understanding what one's mission is. You see, the way it works in life is that sometimes we get called on to do things that we might not ordinarily have wanted it to, wanted to do. But when we look at it from a bit of a bigger perspective, we can appreciate why we're doing it. And when we appreciate why we're doing it, that itself can make it not only tolerable, but actually meaningful and significant. And we might even do it with alacrity and with a sense of joy as well. I'll give you an example. What if I told you that uh, after you go to sleep tonight, you'll wake up at 3 a.m. and you'll have to um, get up and then you have to rush to your car and then you have to drive somewhere to, uh, to fix a flat tire. Yeah, you're up for that tonight, 3 a.m.? No, no. But you know, there are people who sign up for this. In, um, in New York and other, and other major Jewish communities, there's uh, different organizations, volunteer organizations, as there are in many communities otherwise, but these are Jewish organizations. One is called Hatzalah. Raise your hand if you're familiar with Hatzalah. Yeah, many hands are going up. Hatzalah is the Jewish emergency uh, EMT service, emergency medical... T service, right? That's EMT, emergency medical T. I'm not sure what the T stands for. Um, what is it? Transportation. Transportation. Team. Team. All right. Team. Could be team or transportation. Either way works for me. Um, so it's basically the Jewish ambulance service. Uh, they're there typically in communities. Sorry. Technology. Technologists, okay. There you go. That works also. Uh, listen, I'm an I'm an easy uh, I'm an easy crowd. I'll say yes, <laughs> and I'm I'm buying. So here's the point. You know, when you call nine, not you, but when somebody, God forbid, needs to call nine one one, I mean, we all know this, right? It could take it could be very quick, but it could also take a little while till you get some some response. So in major Jewish communities, and maybe even not so major, they have their own certified medical team in the community with ambulances, ready to go all hours of the day. Um, and, and that's it. And, and literally on a moment's notice, they're there within, I don't know, within a minute or two, there's, there's enough in the area where like in very, very short amounts of time, they're there and they know the community, they know the people, and it's absolutely incredible. And then you have also different other organizations um, Chaveirim and Shomrim, the community watch group, and those that will help fix the flat tire at 3 a.m. And if you lock yourself out of your door at 3 a.m. or maybe 2 a.m., just to give a different time, in the freezing cold, they're there. And you know what? The people that sign up for that, yeah, they're not Meshuggah. They're normal people. And when they get up, when they get a call at 2 or 3 in the morning, they don't do it begrudgingly. We're just going to assume for the purpose of tonight's class, right? They don't do it begrudgingly. They do it with a sense of purpose that leads to a sense of joy. You know why? Because they don't see the little picture like, oh, man, my sleep is deprived. No, they look at the big picture. I'm helping someone by me getting up at 3 a.m., 
getting into my car, even in the winter, maybe stubbing my toe, maybe, you know, I'm cold and uncomfortable and tired, whatever it is, none of that matters because I have the opportunity to be there as needed in this moment. And my friends, this is going to be the key to unlock our question and to, to address our question of the night. Our question is, how do we approach things that aren't so exciting to us, right? How do we, what do we do about the mitzvot that don't, for lack of a better term, tickle our fancy? I don't even know what that means. But what do we do about those mitzvot that are not our favorite? And so we're using the story of Mishael and El Tzafan, the cousins of Moshe and Aaron, who were called upon to leave their fellow Levites in the singing and celebration and go in and retrieve the bodies. And the Rebbe says, how did they feel? And the Rebbe says, you know, they felt, they felt like they are part of the service because by doing what, what, they, what they did, they enabled the simcha, they enabled the celebration of the day to go on. And so are they, as, are they a part of the celebration? It seems like there they are having to go and, and take out bodies and then bury bodies and they're missing everything. They're missing what their brothers, their fellow Levites are doing. But in truth, they're not missing anything. They're enabling the, the festivities. They're enabling the day to go on. I'm going to share my screen with you. And here we have the Rebbe's words once again, text number seven. I'm going to read this one as well. It emerges that in doing this service, in other words, removing the bodies, Mishael and El Safan were not removed from rejoicing in the Mishkan. Taking Nadab and Abihu out of the Mishkan was how they took part in the Simcha. So it's sometimes not the glamorous acts that put us where we need to be. It's doing what needs to be done but viewed from a bit of a mature and a bit of a more mature and a bigger perspective that allows us to realize that this too is very much a part of, of not only what needs to happen, but the call of the hour and therefore as important and as important part of the celebration as the celebration itself. There's a similar, there's a, there is a precedent in Torah for this. Amongst the, 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 the roles of the Kohen, we're talking about Levites now, but let's switch for a moment. The Kohanim, the priests, had many different roles with the sacrificial service, but one of them was known as the Haramat Hadesh and the removal of the ashes from on top of the altar. Essentially, when, the, when they're after a while, with all the things that were burnt on the altar, a big mound of ashes would form. And, you know, when you have a lot of ashes, eventually your fire is not going to work because you have more ashes than fire. And so you got to clear out the ashes. So there was a coin whose job it was every so often to remove the ashes and take them from on top of the altar and essentially dump them in a place <coughs> outside the camp. Special place designated for holy, these were holy ashes, but they were, they were taken from the altar and placed in that very special place. And there was a Kohen who was assigned to do it. And you might look at it 
on somewhat of a cynical level, I don't mean you, but I mean, one could look at this and say, ah, a janitorial service. Yeah, you had to clean the altar. And so a Kohen was appointed to do janitorial work. Not so fast. Not so fast. The Torah tells us that this was an avoda, this was a service. The Torah tells us that the Kohen was appointed to do this. The Torah tells us that he had to wear special garments. The Torah says he used a silver shovel. The Torah says that he had to go to mikvah beforehand. He had to wash his hands and his feet, just like any other sacrifice, just like any other service in the tabernacle, which tells us that the job might be not as glamorous as you thought it would be, but it's no less important than any other job in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. In life, there are jobs that are, or there are opportunities and tasks that seem so exciting and so glamorous. And then there are jobs that seem much less glamorous. And when it comes to those latter types of jobs, you and I might be a little bit reluctant, half-hearted, begrudging, distant, disconnected from those experiences. The lesson from tonight's class is don't discount those tasks that you might otherwise consider to be more menial or necessary, but not important, not exciting. Realizing the bigger picture, that those pieces are just as important as the stuff that's more glamorous. Give you an example. Imagine you're setting up a gorgeous edifice, a gorgeous house. Yeah. But you're setting it up from a not so gorgeous past. Right. So you have to do two things. Number one, clear out all the old stuff. And number two, put in all the new beautiful stuff. What happens if you just put in the beautiful stuff, but leave all the old stuff? Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Yeah. Imagine um, fixer upper. Yeah. What's that show? Chip and uh, Joanna, whatever they, whoever they are, right? Yeah. So, so imagine they're doing a fixer-upper project and they come in or somebody comes in and says, oh, such potential here. We're going to bring in all this nice furniture. And they leave everything that was there up until then. It's just, that's not going to work. You got to first clear out the old stuff and then bring in the new stuff. Clearing out the old stuff doesn't seem as glamorous as bringing the new stuff but it's just as important in the task of creating a beautiful space. Are you with me? It's as essential. It's like we have two types of mitzvot. There's the mitzvot ase and mitzvot los ase. There's the positive commandments and the negative commandments, the do's and the don't do's. Person might say, oh, I love doing a mitzvah. The don't do's, eh. The don't do's are just as important as the do's, right? There's, what, there's the negative stuff that you keep at bay and the positive stuff that you bring in. But however you slice it, whatever mitzvah it is, it's essential and critical to the bigger picture. Here's a story that I think will blow you away, but also absolutely thrill you because it thrilled me when I saw it. So Rabbi Nachman Surak was the uh, chief Chabad rabbi of 
England, United Kingdom, for a long time. He passed away a few years ago. Um, I went to yeshiva with one of his sons. And one of his others, so I went to yeshiva with his son, um, um, Bensi. His other son, he has another son, Levi, who is the Chabad Shlech in Edgeware in, uh, in, 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 in England. Anybody familiar with the city Edgeware? No. Okay, it exists. He tells a story about his father. What's the story? His father, a few years back, was honored with an OBE from the queen. Now, OBE means an order of the British Empire. That's a very distinguished designation from the queen. All right. And so he gets this distinction. And he's in um, Buckingham Palace. And as they're walking down one of the hallways, he notices like a tissue or some piece of uh, like a tissue, like a crumpled tissue on the floor. So he bends down, listen to the story. This is a true story. He bends down and he's about to pick it up. <coughs> and the guards say to him, stop. This is a royal palace. Only her majesty's servants may clean it. Listen to that. You hear that? This is a palace. Only her majesty's servants can clean it. You may be getting an OBE, right? An order of the British Empire. But you're not elevated to the task of cleaning the royal palace. In other words, it's not a menial task. Are you with me on the energy of that story? It's not a menial task. A menial task to give to everybody. Oh, the rabbi wants to help. Sure, there's another one over there that you can grab also. They said, no, 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 no. This is a royal palace. Only royal servants are allowed to clean it. They tell a story about the Baal Shem Tov. He was once in, traveling through a town. And the townspeople were complaining about their chazim, their cantor. They said, our chazim is a high holiday season. He doesn't get it. He sings the very sad prayers with a happy tune. The guy clearly doesn't know what's going on. Like all of the, I did this wrong, I did that wrong prayers, he's singing to a happy tune, you know? <laughs> Whatever it is. I don't know what I'm whistling there, but he's he's um, he's making a lebedic. It's the wrong energy. So the Vashem goes to the chas and to the cantor. He says, what's going on? I heard some, some things about you regarding the, the liturgy and how you sing it. He said, yeah, I sing a happy tune. Because... If the king asked me to clean the palace, would I not rejoice with that opportunity? When, the, when God Almighty gives me a chance to clean myself, to repair myself, should I not sing with that opportunity? And indeed, it's the same story. We typically, we human beings, we have, a, uh, I don't know, we're, we're, we're sometimes stuck in a limited perspective. And so we see things that are that to us seem to be more glamorous and things that seem to us to be less glamorous. And the less glamorous things we don't want to be involved with sometimes. But Torah reminds us and the story from Rabbi Sudak regarding the tissue reminds us that there's no shame 
in the menial activities. And there's no, no such thing called a menial activity. It's all about cleaning the, the king's palace or the queen's palace. It's about cleaning the royal palace. It's about making it beautiful. And everything we do within that regard is holy and is cherished and is absolutely beloved by God Almighty. And with that perspective, we can appreciate it too. So think about that mitzvah that doesn't get you so excited. Think about the mitzvah that you do because you have to, but you're not that excited about doing it. And then take a step back and look at the larger view and remind yourself that this mitzvah is part of my relationship with God, whether it's a positive mitzvah, doing a positive mitzvah, refraining from a negative mitzvah, negative commandment, whatever it is, what, in whatever area it is. So this is a personal conversation, right? Because everyone has their list of things they like and things that they're not so excited about. But recognize the value in doing it, not just vis-a-vis -vis the particular thing itself, but vis-a-vis -vis the larger relationship and really the world itself. Mishael and Al-Safan went in to take out the bodies so that the, so that the inauguration ceremony and celebration could continue. That was their calling. They could have said, why us? Darn, everyone else is singing and we're stuck doing this. But that would be missing the point. That would be really missing the point. The point is that they had an opportunity to be part of the day, to be part of the celebration. This was no less a piece than the singing itself. When you and I look at it that way, it can transform it radically. I can't tell you a specific story, but I've heard stories where the gist of the story is the Rebbe telling young mothers that you feeding your baby, diapering your baby, right? Is as holy as going to shul, going to synagogue. Yeah. Don't think of it as, oh, a thing that's now a menial task, a technical task, you know, that's gonna that's keeping me away from this, that, or the other. This is what you need to do. This is holy. Victor Frankel told us that when we have meaning, we have everything. Judaism teaches us that we can find meaning in everything with the right perspective. My friends, appreciate the opportunities that you have. Appreciate the mitzvah opportunities, whether they're glamorous or whether they're just straight up necessary, but not so glamorous. But necessary and not glamorous is still necessary. And it still constitutes our relationship with God Almighty. And thus it constitutes a royal task. Each of us is a prince and a princess of the Almighty God. Let's remember who we are, embrace our opportunities, and do them with love, with commitment, and with joy. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. I hope this message resonated for you. I hope that it was meaningful for you. Certainly, I can stay on and uh, address any questions or comments. But I want to reiterate two things. Number one, next, sorry, I want to re-announce re two things, right? Not, not the class itself, but two points. Number one, next Friday night, 
not uh, this week, but next weekend, next Friday night, we're going to have our very first in-town Jewish Academy, Shabbat under the stars, outdoors, by the belt line, with, I'm going to say spaced out, but that seems like the wrong word, um, with um, social distance seating, plated food, no buffet elbow jostling, uh, you know, exchange of uh, close spaces. This will be you and your food with an environment and a beautiful setting. We will enjoy Shabbat together with spirit and good food and good commentary, good insights, stories, and song. Join me, Shabbat Under the Stars, intownjewishacademy.org slash Shabbat. Next announcement, the new JLI course, six-week course. This can happen. All about a better future as imagined in Jewish thought. Mashiach, the Jewish Messiah. Not so much <coughs> who, but the what. What is Mashiach? Is it possible? Is it really happening? What's the deal with this? We've talked about it in other classes, but never as comprehensively as this. I've written a lesson in this course. You don't want to miss that. Yes, you could just join for that lesson, but why would you join for the whole thing? IntownJewishAcademy.com slash Utopia is the direct link for that course. Sign up. You will not regret it. Better times await if you sign up for it. Now, that was a play on the whole, you know, Mashiach. Now, the um, next point is Oshkodesh Society coming up this Monday night. So join us for that. And we have a lot more exciting things that are just about to be released to the public. I know it was put out there. Stay tuned. Check your email boxes. Refresh it every five minutes or so. I'm kidding. We do that anyway. But just take a quick look, you know, and make sure that you're not missing anything because we have some amazing programming coming up and opportunities to study and connect. Um, good. I think that's it for right this second. Let's take some questions, comments. Donna, go ahead. Book club. Oh, excuse me. Um, I was uplifted by, by a similar thing that you've been talking about tonight. Um, earlier in the week on CNN, Andy Slavin was interviewed and he's one of the top uh, COVID-19 advisors to Joe Biden. And he was wished by the announcer. He said, the announcer said to greet him, I hope you enjoyed your Passover with your family. And, and Mr. Slavin said, well, I was here alone, but I did enjoy celebrating the holiday. Interesting, interesting. So a similar, a similar sentiment, the idea of sometimes it doesn't go as planned, but that may be the plan. It's, it's interesting because I, 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 I'm not gonna say skip, but I left out a few texts, but there's one text, I think it's the last one. It comes to the Baal Shem Tov. And it says something, I'm going to read it very quickly, just on my end. I don't want to uh, share my screen right now. It's going to take away. A person, uh, no, um, at times a person may be walking and will bump into someone and they end up speaking, making uh, you know, conversation, making it impossible to study Torah at that time. At that time, the person must still remain completely devoted to God in his or her mind, effecting spiritual results. Similarly, when a person is traveling and unable to study Torah to pray as they would like, that means that they must serve God in different ways, right? The point is that sometimes things don't go as planned. You're planning on studying Torah or praying, 
but something comes up and you find yourself somewhere else. Baal says that doesn't necessarily need to be any less of a divine experience than the one that you had in mind. It's just about where you are in your head and where you are in your connection and how you infuse meaning in that experience. And so, yeah, you could have Passover in, 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 uh, in, in a different context. I told the story earlier today at our um, uh, Daily Power Power Show, which we're doing in person on Wednesdays um, with lunch from Spicy Peach, mind you. So I mentioned the story today of Rebbe Melch and Rebbe Zusha with the bucket in the prison. How, you know, Rebbe Melch was crying because he couldn't pray because there was a bucket of human waste in this prison cell that they were, you know, mistakenly thrown into. But his brother said, look, God wants you here. God, uh, for whatever reason, and if God puts this here, God doesn't want you to pray Mincha now. So that's God's will. You got to roll with it. And, and so they, they began rejoicing. The point is that it's about rolling with the punches. We don't necessarily... Let me scratch that. We don't at all write our script. All we control is our reaction. What happens to us, the twists and turns, we can't plan that, right? I mean, we can try, sorry. We can try to plan that, but we know what happens then, right? <laughs> life is a way of mixing things, shaking things up. The real question in life is not what did you plan, but it's what did you do when things didn't go as planned? That's what life, that's where life is lived. Life is not lived in the, you know, in the, in the, the orchestration, this, this, the, the setting up the chessboard beforehand. Life is lived on the ground. Yeah. When you had in mind to do this mitzvah and, you, and something else pulled you away from it. Yeah. How do you look at that experience? Was that holy or unholy? That's a choice. That's a choice. That's a perspective. This mitzvah, that's uh, a mitzvah that, that needs to be done. Holy experience or unholy experience? Connecting experience or not? our choice we could look at it and be and begrudge it and be like oh, i don't like this one or we can say this constitutes my connection to god almighty right now so yeah it's amazing this is this is this is what connects me right now it's a beautiful thing so yeah thanks thanks for sharing that because i think that's uh that very much speaks to what we're talking about rabbi solish yes sorry um, there's a story i wish i could remember he's a canadian habad man i think you have the book um he, he always was worried that his ni'ila wasn't like it should be. And one ni'ila, he looked down in the front, very down in the very front in front of everybody, this man was davening, but his suspenders came apart and his pants were about to fall down. So right, right in the Amida or something, very, very holy part of ni'ila, he rushed down to the front and helped him get the suspenders right. And so his pants wouldn't fall down in front of everybody and he concluded that that was the best Nila he ever had. Yeah. Was that Professor Block? Braun or something like that. Bra oh, um, oh, okay. Different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know the story, but I forget also like the exact name. Bra um, Brower? Brower. That's it. Professor Brower. Yeah. Brower. Professor Brower. So, yeah, he was his whole Yom Kippur. He was waiting for the final, the final mm -hmm. closing uh, service. Right. And then it gets, and he's ready to go. He's, this is going to be it. And then the guy's pants fall down, essentially. About to and fall he, down. Yeah. And he, the whole Neely is helping him re, re, reconstitute <laughs> his wardrobe. And he said, you know what? That was my Neela. Mm -hmm. That was my connection. That's a one, that's a great story. Thanks for mentioning it. It's a, it's a hilarious story. I mean, it's, he writes it in a funny way, but it's, um, it's very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. 
it's it's the it's it's re uh, it's having a different perspective on the stuff that we do. Yeah, it's a holy experience. Good, good, good. Oh yeah, thank you, Adina Malka. Yes, I have my copy in the room. This Sunday night, we have our <coughs> the next installment of the Intown Jewish Academy's book club. It's called The Dove Keepers. It's a it's an incredible book, gorgeous, very evocative book, um, just gorgeously written. So for those that are part of it, I'll see you Sunday. For those that are not yet part of it, you can still read it. The Dove Keepers, pick it up at Barnes & Noble or whatever it is. I would say, you know, Amazon, but uh, it's going to take a few days. Pick it up at Barnes & Noble, read it. You got a few days to read it and you can join us Sunday. We do this once a month, Jewish Book Club. It's a really wonderful group led by an incredible book club leader. And everyone is invited. To join it's a lot of fun men and women everybody is invited to join all right so thank you for joining me tonight let's see any other questions comments seems to be it okay no, don't richard, forget. richard richard oh richard oh sorry i thought you were saying bye oh bye hello goodbye a quick question a quick comment uh right before his death uh martin luther king uh went to memphis uh there was a sanitation strike there and he uh, made a speech and he said in that speech to sanitation workers, uh, sweep the streets as if it was a canvas and you were Rembrandt. Wow. Oh, so wow. the, 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 the lowest, not the lowest, I, forgive me for saying it, the most menial task, he said, this is what, do it with, the verb, like he's a verb. Right. Exactly. Right. Blank canvas as if. I love that. I love yeah. it. It's so similar to the story that I said before about the Bashemtov, where the yeah. fellow said, I'm sweeping the king's palace. Right. Right. How could I not sing while I'm doing that? Right. We're, we're atoning for our sins. How could that not be done with joy? Um, or the other story with, um, with, with Rabbi Sudak. Yeah. It's, this is a, a royal, a royal task. That's a really, thank you for sharing. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, really, it's a powerful. I story. remember this. I remember. I remember this. Yeah. I'm not that old, and I can remember this speech. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that, I'm that elderly. I'm that young. young man. Whatever, whatever. Whatever. It's all about perception. All right, friends. <coughs> Excuse me, friends. It is great to see you, Alan. It is great to see everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay happy, and appreciate every mitzvah opportunity that comes your way. L'chaim. See you soon. Take care, everybody. Lila. Thank you, Robert. Pleasure, Bye. pleasure. We'll see you.